Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. This is Primal Potential, and I am your host, Elizabeth Benton. Through education, motivation, and implementation, we will bridge the gap between knowing and doing so we can master fat loss naturally and help you reach your highest potential. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton, and today is part one of a two-part series. We're geeking out on some science stuff. We're talking about what is known as the insulin index. This is something we have not talked about here on the podcast. We might have indirectly touched on it or the concept, but not by name. I've been deep into this research for the past few weeks. I've been getting increasingly excited to share it with you. Here's sort of the overarching statement of where we are going in this episode and in the next. The insulin index tells us how much the food we eat increases insulin in the blood after you eat it. So basically, how does this food drive an insulin response or not? And some of it is pretty obvious, right? We've talked a lot about insulin here. And generally speaking, the more a food or a meal increases blood sugar, the more that food or meal will increase insulin. And really our end goal in much of what we do for fat loss, for energy, for controlling hunger, is about minimizing the insulin response. And typically we go about that by managing our blood sugar response, by being very mindful of foods that drive blood sugar, eating less of them, eating at certain times, that sort of thing. There's more to it than that, which is what we're really diving into in the next two episodes. There are some exceptions to this general rule that when we increase blood sugar, we increase insulin, and if we want to control insulin, control blood sugar. Because sometimes we can trigger an insulin response without triggering a blood sugar response. And sometimes it's those things that we think are fat loss friendly because we assume they don't trigger an insulin response since they don't trigger much of a blood sugar response that can really mess us up and be that confusing element of, why am I so hungry after I eat this? Or why do I have cravings after I eat this? Or why am I not getting results despite eating what I think is pretty clean? So this is going to be a two-part episode. In part one, I want to explain the insulin index, and I want to actually go through a mathematical formula that helps us understand many of the factors that drive an insulin reaction, especially those factors beyond carbohydrate. But then on Saturday, the next episode, part two of this series, a couple days from now, we're going to get tactical. We're going to get very specific. And we are going to talk at length about those tricky foods by name that don't seem to have much of an impact on blood sugar, but do actually have an impact on 
insulin. And we're going to talk about very specific strategies to not only control blood sugar, but perhaps more importantly, control insulin. And I want to take maybe just two or three minutes, maybe even less than that, to start with a primer on what insulin is and its relationship to blood sugar. I will link to a bunch of episodes in the show notes over at primalpotential.com where we have done this before, because I am just going to kind of gloss over this right now. We've done many deep dives into insulin. It is very important that you understand what insulin is and how it works. So if you have questions, please head over to Primal Potential, go to the show notes for this episode, and click those links. Listen to those episodes. Insulin, first and foremost, is a hormone. Hormones are chemical messengers. They give instructions to the body based on the conditions of the body. And there are lots of different things that influence our hormones, stress, sleep, but most notably, food. So everything we do, everything we eat, our stress levels, our sleep, all of these things create the conditions of our body and our hormones respond to that and give instructions based on the conditions of the body. Insulin is an anabolic hormone. You might have heard that word anabolic before related to steroid hormones or bodybuilders who use steroids to get bigger. Well, insulin is in that class of hormones. It is an anabolic hormone because, among other things, it facilitates fuel. Think of food we eat as fuel. Fuel transport and delivery in your body. So when insulin is around, when insulin has been produced and secreted, your body gets the message from the presence of insulin not to break down and burn stored body fat because the only reason your body would do that is if it needs fuel and the presence of insulin tells the body we're in storage mode, we actually have plenty of fuel, that's why insulin is circulating, right? Insulin is ushering fuel, sugars and proteins, out of the blood and into storage. That storage could be in your muscle, it could be in your liver, it could be in your adipose tissue, otherwise known as body fat. And when blood sugar rises, it's not healthy for it to stay high. It can't stay elevated. It's toxic. So insulin gets produced and released by the pancreas to sort of usher the sugar and often the protein out of the blood and take it to be stored. That's sort of our primer. Again, I will link to many episodes in the show notes over on primalpotential.com where we've done lots of deep dives into insulin and how it works and how it influences fat loss and energy and hunger and all of those things. But that's sort of the overview we're going with today. Before we talk specifically about the insulin index, you might be wondering how or if it's different from the glycemic index because blood sugar and insulin seem so closely linked and they are. Insulin index and glycemic index are different, though. So I'm going to touch on glycemic index and glycemic load and then explain the insulin index and insulin load. So glycemic index basically tells us how quickly blood sugar levels go up after eating a particular type of food. And it's telling us how quickly blood sugar levels go up after a particular type of food compared to glucose. So all of the glycemic index numbers are relative to pure sugar. We know that different foods impact blood sugar differently. 
And so the glycemic index is saying, okay, compared to glucose, which is pure sugar, this particular food in this particular amount causes an increase in blood sugar about this fast, right? The challenge with glycemic index is that it doesn't take into account how much you eat, right? It's a relative measure of how a small amount of something increases blood sugar, how quickly that happens when compared to pure sugar. But it's sort of a theoretical value and not a very practical value because it's not saying, you know, what happens after you have a plate of pasta. The more you eat, the more it's going to have an impact on blood sugar. So when you factor in how much you ate, now that glycemic index number is totally different, right? So glycemic index to me is theoretical, but not very practical. Glycemic load is intended to be valuable in a way that glycemic index is not. There are some limitations. I'll touch on them in a second. But just to answer any questions about the difference between glycemic index and glycemic load and insulin index or insulin load, glycemic index is, or glycemic load, excuse me, Glycemic load is based on how much of a food you ate, right? Because the food itself has a unique impact, but how much of the food is an important variable as well. When looking at what glycemic load is, one unit of glycemic load, one unit of glycemic load is the approximate effect, the equivalent of having one gram of glucose, right? So when we look at the numbers that represent a glycemic load value, one unit basically says this is the same in terms of its impact on your blood sugar as having one gram of glucose. So it's a relative value based on the amount of a type of food or a particular food that you eat. But the challenge that both of these things face, glycemic index and glycemic load, among other things, is that when we get a number, glycemic index or glycemic load, we're looking at one food. But typically when we sit down for a meal, we're looking at a combination of foods. And so then we're changing those values because of quantity, but we're also changing those values because of type. Yeah, we might understand the impact of a potato when eaten alone, but what happens when we then add butter and steak? Right. It is a different thing. So I think these things are a little bit more helpful in theory and theory is valuable, but not as an exact science of metabolism. So that is glycemic index, glycemic load. I don't want to get lost in that today. I want to get back to insulin and the insulin index. We generally understand that blood sugar and insulin are like a tag team. But the exception to the rule where I want to spend the majority of our focus here is that sometimes we can trigger an insulin response without triggering a blood sugar response. And when I say that, we've kind of talked about this indirectly before. I've shared with you how protein can elicit an insulin response, but that's not without a blood sugar response, right? That's part of the rule. The exceptions of the rule are where I want to go. And the reason I say the protein thing is part of the rule is because when we overconsume protein, our body can initiate gluconeogenesis or create sugar from protein. So the glucose that's created raises blood sugar and then insulin goes up. So we don't typically think of a steak as something that would raise blood sugar. But when the excess protein is used to create glucose, it raises blood sugar and it creates an insulin response. There are things that create an insulin response without triggering blood sugar, and I think it's important that we understand all of it. As Mark Sisson explained, I think it was in episode 388, it feels so long ago now, 
when we were talking about the keto reset diet, he wrote in that book that those with the lowest levels of insulin live the longest. And whether you agree with that or not, there is no doubt that controlling insulin improves your energy, it improves your body composition, it reduces cravings, it reduces hunger. So that is what we want to focus on. The reality here to keep in mind is that insulin produced in response to food is only one part of the insulin equation, right? Because your body is producing and releasing insulin beyond what you are eating to manage energy that is broken down from your liver and your muscle tissue as well. So I don't want anybody to think of insulin just as something that happens in response to mealtime. I think, this is just my personal opinion here, I think this is where a lot of people get into the let's call it the religion of fasting, and they think that if they just fast, that they'll never create an insulin reaction, and that's the magical everything to fat loss. But the reality is your body is still producing fuel from storage when you're fasting, and that fuel has to be used, and insulin is a part of that equation. And so sometimes people can get kind of like hypnotized into fasting, thinking, thinking that it's the perfect answer. And I like fasting for a lot of reasons. But we've got to keep in mind that insulin is how our body manages fuel delivery. And so even when we're not eating, there is a need for kind of being the traffic cop of fuel breakdown and delivery and usage. And insulin is a huge part of that. Sometimes the energy is coming from liver storage. Sometimes the energy is coming from muscle glycogen. Sometimes the energy is coming from a meal you just ate. All right. So I want to make sure everybody understands that because sometimes what happens is we oversimplify something and then we think we found an answer that's really not a be-all, end-all answer, but just a result of an oversimplification or a misunderstanding, misunderstanding or miseducation. So let's understand that fasting doesn't mean there's no increase in blood sugar. Fasting doesn't mean there's no increase in insulin. And that's why I'm doing these episodes so that we understand the nuances and don't get lulled into a false sense of, oh, well, I'll just fast every other day. It's more complex than that. There are a couple of awesome equations that help us calculate insulin. And what I want to do is share one of these formulas with you today. And then again, in the next episode, we're going to get very specific and say, this food has very little impact on blood sugar, but does have a measurable impact on insulin. And this food, if we plug it into the equation, it might surprise you looks like this. A different type of food where you might think is very favorable for insulin is not those are the kinds of things we're going to do in the next episode. But today is a little bit more of setting the stage, the primer, clearing out any cobwebs, getting everybody at a base level of understanding here, and then also clearing up some of the confusion that comes from an either incomplete or inaccurate understanding of insulin and the human body. Now, I am not a math person, and I want to be very clear that in sharing this equation, I am not suggesting that you plug your meal choice into this equation to figure it out. I think, though, that by understanding the elements of the equation, you'll understand how different things positively and negatively impact insulin. All right. We're looking at an equation for insulin load. And I will link to this 
in the show notes over at primalpotential.com. What we're considering here is fiber, protein, fructose, and total carbohydrate, all right? It's not important, again, that you plug in these numbers to this equation, though you can, but what I want you to see, and I think I'll, I'll make this point through this uh, explanation here, that understanding it helps you view your food and its impact a little bit more accurately. So insulin load equals total carbohydrate minus fiber plus your protein times 0.56 minus fructose, fructose is a form of sugar, times 0.75. All right, so we're looking at first, insulin load equals total carbohydrate, pause. The more carbohydrate, the more insulin load increases. And it might be helpful for you to head over to the show notes and be looking at this equation as I'm describing it. But what we see here is that as total carbohydrate increases, insulin load increases. The more carbs we eat, the more it has a direct impact on insulin load. But then we see minus fiber. So fiber plays a role here. The more fiber there is, the less the insulin load. So, so far we know more carbs, more impact on insulin, more fiber, less impact on insulin. Then we see that we are adding, and adding matters, because adding means that this is increasing the insulin load. We are adding protein times 0.56. Now remember back to math class that when we multiply by a fraction, less than one, we are essentially dividing, right? So protein times 0.56 is basically protein divided by two. So we are adding protein divided by two. What this tells us is that protein impacts insulin load, but it impacts insulin load about half as much as carbohydrates. Because when we look at this insulin load equation, we have insulin load equals total carbohydrate. We're not dividing that total carbohydrate number. There is a direct relationship between carbohydrate and insulin load. But when we talk about protein, we're dividing that by two, multiplying it by half. So protein impacts insulin load, but it has about half as much of the effect as carbohydrates do. That's what it tells us that we're adding protein, but we're adding protein divided by two. So increasing protein increases insulin load, and protein has about half as much of the effect as carbohydrates do, right? So carbs have an additive effect. Protein has an additive effect. Fiber has a minimizing effect, and the other minimizing effect, although by a very different mechanism, is fructose. But just like we reduced protein by multiplying it by 5, we are reducing fructose by multiplying it by 0.725. Fructose reduces the insulin effect, but not like fiber does. Fiber has a, has a more direct impact because we're not multiplying by a fraction or dividing, reducing the number of fiber. Um, we are doing that to fructose. But let's remember why fructose impacts insulin. 
Fructose is a type of sugar, most commonly found in processed foods, think high fructose corn syrup, also in fruit in the form of fructose, but it is not metabolized in the traditional way that glucose is. Fructose goes straight to the liver, so it doesn't raise blood sugar and create the same insulin response. But before you get too excited, remember in our fructose episode that I'll link to in the show notes over on primalpotential.com, Fructose is the most lipogenic carbohydrate, meaning the most likely to be converted to and stored as fat. It doesn't metabolize via the traditional pathway, so we get a little bit of a pass on it regarding insulin, but we don't get a pass on it related to our health or our waistline. So carbohydrates directly increase insulin load. Protein increases insulin load, but by about half as much as carbohydrate. Fiber decreases insulin load, and fructose decreases insulin load. All right. What we are going to do before I tell you that, what is missing from this equation? What do we not see? We've got two of the three macronutrients. We have carbs, we have protein, but what we don't see is fat because fat is the macronutrient that doesn't really drive an insulin response. But what we are going to do on Saturday in the next episode in part two of this series is talk about some of the exceptions to these general rules, foods that don't have an impact on blood sugar or as much of an impact on blood sugar, but have a disproportionate increased effect on insulin. All right. So hopefully this was helpful in understanding, yep, carbs drive insulin. Protein does too because of gluconeogenesis, which we've talked about in previous previous episodes, and the equation shows us that it has about half the impact. Fiber reduces the insulin effect, and so does fructose, though in a very different way. Let me wrap up with you. I want to read an email uh, from somebody who tried out Thrive Market. Uh, said, hey, Elizabeth, thanks so much for sharing about Thrive Market. Don't let anybody give you a hard time. I've tried two of the Fatco products you recommended, and I love them both. Side note, Fatco is the skincare products I was talking about that are cheaper on Thrive Market than through the Fatco website or through Amazon. Then she said, I also order their cashews because I buy cashews every week and I loved them. They are way cheaper than what I usually buy. And more importantly, they were even tastier. We ate through the whole bag in one day, so I had to get more from my grocery store. We didn't finish the grocery store ones because we were spoiled by the better tasting ones from Thrive Market. I'm placing my next order right after writing this email. So if you haven't given them a try, you can go to thrivemarket.com forward slash primal potential and you want to go through that URL because when you do, you'll save 25% on your first order. You'll get free shipping on that first order and you'll be able to get a free 30-day trial membership to see if you like it, if you enjoy the foods, and if you are saving money like the rest of us are. Looking forward to this part two episode coming your way in just a couple of days, and I think you're going to really enjoy it as well. Have a great day, guys. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Primal Potential Podcast, where my goal is not to inform you, but to transform you. And if you would like to receive free motivation and strategy and recipes, workouts, meal ideas every week right to your inbox, just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash 
join. It's a great way to get the tools, the strategies, and the practical implementation assistance that you need to create your own transformation between podcast episodes. Just text the word PRIMAL to the number 44222 or go to primalpotential.com slash join. See you there. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. At LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every site that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase, shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details.